Well, again, take your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 16. We'll pick up where I left off week before last. We concluded with verse 24 then. We'll pick up with the reading in verse 25 and read through the end of the chapter. That's chapter 16, the gospel of John. For the home folks, thank you for your prayers for me over the past, uh, really, past two or two and a half months since uh, I returned from Peru and had COVID at the end of that trip and uh, have just kind of been up and down with the with all the stuff that kind of lingers with that apparently. And uh, thankful for our good elders who carry such a heavy load and our deacons and Pastor Sean, uh, I did not, as you know, make the trip to Texas last week. I was supposed to be down there preaching a conference for a church, and uh, so we'll reschedule that, good Lord willing. But uh, I was able to be back Wednesday evening, enjoyed being here with the saints then, and then, of course, Thursday night, Will McNinch and I were able to go up to the prison and minister the word of the Lord Jesus Christ to the, to the prisoners and, uh, and so the Lord has uh, been kind to restore a good deal of my strength. Now it's time for this allergy season. And you may already see it in my eyes and hear it in my voice. But praise the Lord for allergies. That means we have beautiful blooming stuff. So we'll just enjoy the good part and try to look at the glass three quarters full. Let's read God's word. Guest, by the way, if, uh, if you've not been welcomed, which I suspect you have, you will be before you leave. Please give us that opportunity. And we would, uh, I will say this again in a bit, we'd love for you to stay uh, throughout the service. And at the end, we'll be having the, the fellowship meal out in the narthex, as was announced earlier. We would love for you to be with us for that. There'll be food aplenty, so don't feel uh, badly that you uh, perhaps didn't come prepared with your own dishes. There's always food for strangers. We love to feed the strangers as our Lord gave us that command and that privilege. So please stay with us. Let's read. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and you have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, 
and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word, for speaking to us plainly. Even in the figures, your spirit comes and takes and guides us into truth. We love you. We thank you. We pray that this, your word, would open our hearts. That your spirit would illumine our minds that the words that we read and the words that we hear preached would not fall upon dead ears and hard hearts and rocky soul, but that you would indeed sink the seeds of your word deep into rich soil and that we might leave this place producing good fruit, believing you and living a life that becomes the followers of Christ. We ask this in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we've come, as I said earlier, we've come to the end of the farewell discourse, the Lord's farewell discourse, as it's called. It ends with a sober warning. We just read it. In the world, you will have tribulation. But it also ends with that wonderful promise that we are more than conquerors. I'm always amazed as I read through the epistles from the book of Acts through to the Revelation, how often we read the writers, Paul, Peter, John, James, whomever it may be, Luke in the book of Acts, we read things and we're like, I know where they got that. They got that from Jesus. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. But something about it does every once in a while, doesn't it? You're like, oh. But then we read the Old Testament as we did this morning, and we're reminded, oh, that's the same message as, the, as what we just read in John. The Lord is the one who will take care of us. The Lord is the one that will protect us on our left side and on our right side. The Lord is the one who has overcome the world. We're shocked because we're so inconsistent. We say one thing and then we say another thing. If it were not politically incorrect, I might quote the sayings from the old Western movies that the white man speaks with a forked tongue. But since that's politically incorrect these days, I won't say that. But we do, don't we? But God doesn't. He speaks with one voice. So whether it's in Genesis or the Psalms 
or one of the prophets or one of the historical narratives, the beautiful book of Ruth or the book of Revelation. It's one message. And so it shouldn't ever surprise us that that message agrees over and over and over again. But we're more than conquerors. And if we didn't know the whole story, we might say, oh, goodness. In the world, you'll have tribulations, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We're supposed to take heart in the middle of tribulations just because Jesus has overcome the world? Yes. Certainly can't take heart in any possibility that we might overcome. But that's sad, isn't it? Because you have, you have friends. You may have having, even have friends who claim to be a Christian. They profess faith, but they don't possess faith. And they try everything in their, in their power to overcome. To overcome their own sin. To overcome the struggles of this life. They come up with all sorts of means to overcome the, the conflicts that arise in the workplace, in their families. And they don't depend on the one who has already overcome, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't live as if God's God. They live as if they're God. And this passage, like the rest of the Bible, tells us that God is God and we're not. We're finite. We're fragile. We're frail. We will fail. But God. But Christ. Those, those two little words that Paul loves. But God. And but Christ. And that's where the Lord's calling us here today. They couldn't understand him. And there's been some who've taken this and said, oh, here's a problem. In Matthew, when Jesus gives the parables, the symbol, symbolic teaching, the figurative teaching... He did that so that the world would not understand. But now he's doing it and his disciples don't understand. There's no conflict between this passage and Matthew. In fact, it's, it's absolute agreeable. Because if you go back, and this is so strange, because if, if, the, if the naysayers would just go back and read Matthew more closely... The disciples were among the world. They were among the crowd when Jesus would give the parables. And they didn't understand either. And then he would take them aside and he would explain it to them. And that's what he's doing here. He just gave them this figurative speech, as he calls it. And largely that's speaking to the whole issue of... The anguish that's going to come to them as they see him led 
from Pilate's chambers to Golgotha and crucified. And then buried on a, on a cold rock slab in a cave and remained there for the period of time he said he would be there. And he likened that to birth pains of a woman and how that all through the birthing process, there's agony, there's screaming, there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth. I described this to you two weeks ago. There's a sense in which even men go through that because their wives are screaming at them and gnashing out at them. And telling them to be quiet because you don't know what's going on. And now Jesus comes back and says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. And now I'm going to tell you plain. I'm going to, I'm going to interpret it for you. I'm going to explain it to you. And there's much in here, and we don't have time to to go into great detail, but I want to cover it in just two lessons that the Lord gives them here. The first one you see printed in your insert is simply this. Asking in the name of Jesus means that the Father loves you. The fact that we pray in the name of Jesus means that God the Father loves us as a church. Jesus has ended the previous section by saying, verse 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Why? Because they've prayed with him and talked to him. And they've prayed to the Father and they've not understood the Son. The Son has come in the fullness of time. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So he says now. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. But will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. So see, he's just continuing that theme of asking, praying, talking to God. In the name of of Jesus Christ. And the reason he's telling them this is because during this little while that we saw two weeks ago, a little while and you won't see me and a little while you will see me. And we talked about that. That's, that's the crucifixion to the resurrection. A little while you won't see me. He's going to be crucified, buried, dead. The third day, he was was risen. A little while and you will see me. And for a little while they did see him. For 40 days, he taught them. And he instructed them. He says, in that day you will ask in my name. I don't say... That I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. But he's going to tell them. He's going to tell them 
plainly about the Father. We have, we have episodes during that 40 day of the Lord's teaching, telling them plainly. And now they're understanding. You remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They're in agony. They're distraught. He's, he's died. They don't know he's risen. In his glorified body, now that he's arisen, they don't recognize him. Not initially. And he tells them from the Old Testament scriptures all about himself. All about the Father. He's telling them plainly. See, they... It's, it's amazing, isn't it, to try to put ourselves in the place of the disciples with their misconceptions of what the kingdom would be. They thought it was going to be this earthly, militaristic kingdom. And the Lord came and said, this is why I came, to be the king. This is why I was born. And what's the gospel? All through the, all through the New Testament, how's the gospel referred to? Jesus refers to it this way. The disciples refer to the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. That's who we are. We're subjects of the king. We're part of the kingdom. That's the reason... We sing hymns like, I love thy kingdom, Lord. The house of thy abode. The church of the living God. The hymn writer goes on to say. The kingdom and the church. So he teaches them. He teaches them all these wonderful things. They began to connect the dots now that Jesus is no longer speaking in figurative language. And now that he says, once the crucifixion has come, you're going to understand. Once the resurrection comes and I'm with you, you're going to come to understand more fully. Aren't you glad? As difficult as it is for finite little us to grasp the clear teaching of the scriptures, it's even sometimes, it's wonderful to reflect that we have the spirit who guides us into all truth. Remember, that was part of the preceding passage also. The spirit is coming to guide us into truth. The disciples began to experience that at Pentecost. And the church has enjoyed that privilege all through the day of the Lord since and will until he comes again. He's teaching us, helping us connect the dots that the, that the disciples began to connect. Like those two on the road to Emmaus. Like Thomas finally was able to connect the dots. Paul said it this way. 
For as many as the promises of God are in him, that is, in Christ, they are yes. You mean all those promises of the Old Testament were pointing us to Christ and his work? Yeah. And they're yes. They're amen in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says. As many as the promises of God are in him, they are yes. Therefore, through him also is our amen to the glory of God through us. The glory of God through us. That's where he moves next. Is the glory of God in us and through us. In our prayers to the Father. And we come to understand. Because he's connected the dots for us. With his teaching and the spirit now. Guiding us into all truth. And so he moves. Back to the prayer motif again. He says in that day you will ask in my name. Now here could be a confusing little part couldn't it. And I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf. That almost sounds mean spirited. Doesn't it? He just said, ask in my name and I'll, and he'll give you anything. Ask in my name and I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to ask him. I may not ask him. That's not what he's saying. Because he goes on to tell us. What he's saying is this. In that day you will ask in my name. And here, let me clear up something. God the Father... And I, God the Son, this is Jesus speaking, not me. God the Father and Jesus, God the Son, are so united in their substance, their essence being one. That it's not like the Son hears our prayers and then relays them to the Father. Whoops. You pray to me, and then I will, I will pray to the Father. He's saying, that's not what's going on. I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to be seated with the Father. Now, some of you now say, no, it says he'll be seated at the right hand of the Father. Yes, all through the book of Hebrews, that's what it says. But then we get the perfect interpretation of that in Revelation chapter 3, where the Lord Jesus Christ says that he has gone and has been seated on the throne with the Father. The imagery of being seated at the right hand of the Father simply means he is the power. He is the arm of the Lord. He is the salvation of the Lord. He is one with the Father. He's seated with the Father on the throne. And so he and the Father are one. We've already read that back in chapter 10, right? The Father and I are one. All through the book of John, we've seen the unity of the Father and the Son. I don't say anything on my own. I say what he says. Jesus is not saying, I'm so dumb, I don't know what to say. The Father has to tell me what to say. He's saying that what I say is what the Father says. And what the Father says is what I say. We speak with one voice. And so when we pray to him, they hear with one ear. That's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on to explain it. 
Because the Father himself loves you. He hears directly because he loves you. Why? Well, first, he loved us from eternity past and chose us in Christ Jesus. But to the point here, because Jesus is going to the cross and Jesus is going to the grave and Jesus is going to be resurrected and that's going to take the enmity and the alienation and the, 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 and the, and the great chasm between the Father and us is going to be taken away. The Father loves us because that all that sin has been dealt with and is gone as far as the east is from the west. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying directly to the Father through the Son. And Jesus says, here's some reasons the Father hears you. He loves you. He loves you because you've loved me. Well, I believe in God, but, you know, I, the, all this stuff about Jesus, I'm not so sure about it. Well, listen, you've got no hope with God unless you love Jesus. Do you see that? The Father loves you because you loved me. And what does John say? This same John, writing the first epistle, says that he loves you. or We love him, rather. And why? Because he first loved us. See, we never get the credit. We're, not, we're never the priority. He's always primary. He loved us, so we loved him. And he loves us back. He loves us so that we can love him, and then he loves us as if we loved him on our own. What a great God. He loves us. He loves us because we love Jesus, and he loves us because we believe that Jesus came from God. In other words, we believe everything Jesus said. Remember, Jesus kept saying, I came from the Father. And I've said this over and over. I'm going to say it again right now. We do not, we are not rather saved simply because we believe in Jesus. We must also believe Jesus. There are a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but I just, I just can't believe, I just can't believe this Bible. Well, I'm sorry. You don't get, you don't get that privilege. You don't get to pick and choose. You believe the Jesus that spoke or you don't believe Jesus that saves. That's why it's so important to know what he says, to believe it. The Father loves us because we believe that he came from God and I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Now he's going to ascend to the Father, and you believe this. That's the essence of faith right there. That's the proper object of faith. We believe God 
loves us, because we love Jesus, because Jesus loved us and came down to this earth, and because Jesus went back to the Father. And he is even now, Hebrews says, interceding for us continually so that we may be saved to the uttermost. So, when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're just acknowledging that Jesus loves us, but we're also acknowledging that the Father loves us. And that's our great comfort, is that the Father loves us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit love us. Well, finally, and briefly, living by faith, Jesus says. He, he, there's a sense in which he, he shifts gears because the disciples say, oh, okay, so you're speaking plainly now, and we understand. And then Jesus says, no, you don't. Not really. He says, I'll tell you why I can say this. Yep, you're right. I do know all things. Um, yep, um, you do believe that, 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 that I came from God, but, but it hasn't, it hasn't really taken hold yet. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come because remember chapter 17 and following, we're in the midst, we're in that evening, we're in the, the, the evening before the crucifixion. It's even now come, he says, that you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me alone. Here's the point, y'all. Our hope, our salvation doesn't depend on us. It doesn't hinge on our faithfulness. What does it hinge on? Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. If, you, if you're looking for your peace, folks, listen. If anyone in here is, is looking for peace in your actions, in your faithfulness, in your obedience, in your keeping of the law, you won't have any peace. How many times do you sit seriously, as Christians ought to, sit and think about my life this week, my thoughts, my deeds, some of the things we confessed in that prayer. For instance, we're vexed by our sins that have harmed our own bodies. What, what kind of sins? Our sharp words, our harsh expressions, our unkind gestures. And we've thought about that, and we've thought, boy, what a miserable sinner I've been this week. Am I being sanctified at all? And if you sit and dwell on that long, no wonder our Armenian friends think they can fall from grace because they sit and they ponder themselves instead of pondering the most majestic 
wonderful Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. If you sit and you think about yourself, look, there's, it's, it's about to happen, guys. You think, you think you're up to this. You think you're strong enough. You're about to run for your lives. They're going to come to get me, and you're going to go hide like little sissy girls. Sorry, girls. You're going to scream like you have just been shot with a rifle. I've never been shot with a rifle and screamed, but I've seen it on movies. And that's not where your peace is. That's not where your hope is. Your hope, Jesus says, is in me. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Hey, listen. This is, this is godly wisdom right here. This is, this is biblical wisdom right here. You take all the things that the Bible says and you apply it to your life. And there's probably nothing more crucial. Getting this fixed in your mind. The fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He did live a perfect life. Suffered a substitutionary death for our sins. He was buried so that he could be raised. So that we too can be raised on that last great day. He did all that so that he'd take away all the barriers. Father loves us. We can pray to the Father. And even when we sin, we still have hope because he was sinless. And he overcame the world. This same John said it this way in 1 John 3. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. That's our hope. That's where we find peace. Not in ourselves, not in our faithfulness, but in his faithfulness. And that's where we put our faith. Over and over and over again. That's the reason Paul could say with this certainty, we are overwhelmingly more than conquerors. And he could say again, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Do you notice? You notice the point there? In the day of Christ Jesus. It's in Christ that we have our hope, we have our peace, we have our comfort. That's the reason Hugh Latimer on that October day in 1555 as he and Nicholas Ridley went to be burned with these, these, these sacks of gunpowder hanging around their necks being burned by the Roman Catholic Church. Latimer could look at Ridley and say 
play the man, Ridley. Today, we're going to light a fire so bright that it'll never go out in England. You know what? As sad as the state of affairs are in England today, the light's still shining there. And it's not because of Ridley or Latimer. It's because of the Christ they preached. Is that the Christ you trust? Is that the one you believe and the one you believe in? If so, then you can have peace no matter what goes on around you. Father, thank you for giving us your word. We ask now that you would press it into us, that you take the, the pitiful groanings of this man, your servant, that your spirit would clearly give us the message that you have in these words read to us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.